The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. I want to invite you to please stand. Throughout this season of Lent, we'll be reading the Passion readings. And this morning, we're going to read Passion reading number one. And we'll be focusing on really the first part of the Passion lesson, verses 1 through 11 for the sermon this morning. But we'll keep reading all the way up to verse 26. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill Him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While He was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the Gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to portray to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, He said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray Me, one who is eating with Me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to Him, Surely you don't mean Me. It is one of the twelve, He replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with Me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. But woe to that man! who portrays the Son of Man, it would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is My body. 
Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. This, this was no ordinary dinner party. Do you remember when we used to have those? I remember them a little bit where we'd, we'd invite friends and family over and maybe somebody would bring a bottle of wine and we'd sit and chat. You remember these days? This, this wasn't one of those kind of dinner parties. This was more like a pre-execution dinner. Because, as Mark tells us, a cabal of religious leaders had taken out a hit on Jesus. And it really wasn't too much of a secret. Apparently, the word was on the street so much so that Judas knew about it, and just after this dinner party, he goes to betray Jesus. And Jesus, you know, like Jesus, the way that he is, he's, he's leaning into it, see. He had told the disciples, I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and after three days I'm going to rise from the dead. This this was no ordinary dinner party. This this was more like a pre-execution meal. You can imagine how the conversation must have gone. Like, how, how the disciples didn't want to name the unnameable, how maybe the jokes fell flat and the conversation was kind of sort of awkward, you know. It's probably more like one of those meals where a friend has you over and he says, I gathered you here today because I have an important thing to tell you. I have stage four cancer and I'm not coming out of it. So what what are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to do at a meal like that? You you can imagine that that, that the disciples were just sort of sitting there like, we can't talk about it. Let's try to keep the peace and maybe kind of comfort Jesus a little bit here. This was no ordinary dinner party. And then this woman just, just bursts into the room. She wasn't invited. Simon the leper, he had probably carefully made the guest list for such an occasion as this, a pre-execution meal. And this unnamed woman, she's not on the list. But all the same, she, she, she sort of breaks into the room, and for the disciples at least, to their eyes, she's a total emotional train wreck. Like, hey... We're trying to keep Jesus calm. We're trying to keep it nice and awkward here. What are you doing? And then things just sort of start to unravel for her because 
She's got in her hands this, this, this incredible, this incredible fragrance, this incredible perfume. And the disciples, they could look at the jar and they knew that this thing was top shelf. They, they, they knew that this thing, this, this fragrance was top of the line. I did this thing, I, I Googled it, I was like, what's, what's the most expensive fragrance that you can buy today? It's called this. Clive Christian Number 1 Imperial Majesty. That's what it's called. And it's worth, they say, for a small bottle, $200,000. That's sort of like what this unnamed woman had in her hands and, and, and she's such a train wreck that instead of just taking a drop of it, because that's what you're supposed to do, that's what I understand, at least you're supposed to take a drop of this perfume and maybe rub it on your neck. But what you're not supposed to do is take this, this beautiful and, and priceless fragrance and then break it and then shower it on Jesus. But that's what she does. She takes the jar, breaks it, and pours it on Jesus' head, and Jesus is sitting there, and He looks like He's just won the Super Bowl. But what's poured on Him isn't like $20 of Gatorade, see? It's pure nard, the Bible says. And this awkward silence that the disciples had so carefully tried to maintain was broken. It was broken just like that, that alabaster jar of what we might call the ancient Near East version of Clive, Clive Christian's number one imperial majesty. So, now that the silence and the awkwardness is broken, the disciples begin to think to themselves, who does she think she is? Why would she do that? And pretty soon, they look at each other and they realize they're all in agreement about this. Like, this, this, this is the most incredibly stupid thing that we've ever seen. And now, like the worst example of biblical mansplaining takes place. They're, they're indignant about it and they're all in agreement about it. Woman! You can imagine what they said. Woman! What were you thinking? The truth is you weren't thinking at all. Take a deep breath for just a second. Dear woman. That, that, that beautiful fragrance that just a moment was so strong it's already starting to dissipate. It's, it's dying as we speak. We, the disciples, we, if you would have just asked us, we can think of at least a hundred different ways that we could have used that money. See, we could have fed like 10,000 people with what you just wasted. Woman, what's the difference between stacking up Hundreds of piles of $100 bills around the room and just torching them. What a waste. They said to her, 
What a waste. Do you think that after the disciples lit into her like that, that she was still confident in what she did? Do you think she was sitting there like, you're wrong, this was, this was a great thing to do? Or do you think she began to question it, it deep down in her heart, like, like, what was I thinking? What was going through my mind when I thought that this was such a good idea. I mean, Jesus, he's sitting there and he's looking like a wet cat and everybody, everybody in the room is like, this was a wrong thing to do. And do you think that she was still confident in what she had done? I um, About a year ago, I finished my my studies for a doctor of ministry. And it's one of those things like, like this story where you just pour yourself into it. And I started, I thought, the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to be a better pastor. I want to be able to bring the gospel better to the people of God. And I spent hundreds of hours, five years, tens of thousands of dollars to do this. And then I wrote this almost 300-page dissertation, and I finished. You know how I felt? If I was honest, empty. Disillusioned. Why had I done it? And I didn't even need the disciples to help me along. I didn't. I thought it myself. Was it a waste? And isn't that true? Like, you usually don't have to think about it. If, if you're just giving a little bit of time or a little bit of money to the ministry or to loving your neighbor, you usually don't have to think about the cost and why you did it. But when you put a lot in, when you give yourself to it, then you have to think about it, don't you? Then you have to start to wonder, was it a waste? And we don't, you, I think maybe you're a little bit like me. You don't, even, you don't even need the disciples to be indignant with you. Why'd you do that? What a waste. It just, it just evaporates into thin air. Why, why? Now, if, if we didn't have the rest of the story, the debate would go on. And the question would remain, should we pour ourselves out for Jesus? Or not. And we'd, we'd sort of finish pouring ourselves out because the ministry, the, like the ministry that we do together, demands so much of us. We'd have this ugly feeling all the time is it worth it? Is it worth it to give tens of thousands of dollars every year in order to support this budget that we just passed this last week? Is it worth it? But as one great preacher actually reminded us, he said, but Jesus hadn't had His turn yet. And I love what Jesus says first. He spoke into this moment with these words. This is from verse 6, Mark chapter 14. Leave her alone. So He's rebuking the rebukers. 
And remember, he, he rebuked the wind and the waves and He said, be quiet. And Jesus here, He speaks to the rebukers and He says, leave her alone. And you can imagine that in that moment, everybody gets quiet. Like, really quiet. And then Jesus says this. I'm just going to read it. Why are you bothering her? This is so beautiful. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I love that phrase. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the Gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And now, if you're listening, listening closely now, you know that He said it. He said it. The awkward thing that everybody had been trying to avoid, but everybody was thinking, Jesus said it. She's preparing me for my burial. Now, that, 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 that's a little bit of an awkward conversation. Like, they're, out, they're at this pre-execution dinner party, and then there Jesus goes and He says it. This is, here's my funeral arrangements. This is the fragrance that I want. The, the, these are the flowers that I want. He said it. But you know what's interesting? Nobody got indignant with him. Nobody, nobody said like the disciples, they didn't say, Jesus, don't do it. Don't pour yourself out unto death for these people. It's a waste. They, they didn't say, Jesus, why, why would you pour out your precious and holy blood for a whole bunch of sinners? Nobody said it because all of them knew that they needed it. They all knew that they needed Jesus to die for them. And so they weren't going to say, Jesus, it's not worth it. Jesus, don't pour yourself out. Not, not, not for these people. But that's not all that he said. He continued. And he anticipates the resurrection. He says something here amazing because he says that the gospel is not going to stop with the cross. The gospel is not going to stop even with the empty tomb. The gospel is not going to stop until the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. And then Jesus says, when the gospel reaches the ends of the earth, people are still going to be talking about this lady. That's the power of what I'm going to do for you, and that's the power of my word. Oh, I just, I just love that. He actually does something unprecedented here. And he never does it again. He memorializes the act of an unnamed woman. Unprecedented. He says, this is beautiful and people are still going to be talking about it in New York City in 2021. And it's still going to be inspiring people to pour themselves out. Was it a waste? I don't think so. You see, what we have here 
is a certain truth that we got to get deep in our hearts. When we pour ourselves out for Jesus, it matters. I want to tell you that again. Because Jesus memorializes it for us today. When we pour ourselves out for Jesus, He makes it matter. So one thing that you got to do is, is when that voice comes along and, and the voice starts saying, is it a waste? Should I do it? You have to stop thinking about the impact. You have to stop thought, thinking about, is this going to result in something incredible? You have to know why you're doing it. And you know why you're doing it? For Him. Because He did it for you. And, and if you have that deep in your heart, you'll, you'll never question yourself ever again because you'll know exactly why you did it. Not for the results. Not because I got a certain number of views or whatever it is. The, how you're going to measure the impact. You just did it for Him. You know what Jesus says about that? That's beautiful. That's noble. And then you can just leave it to Him to let it matter. The Apostle Paul says the same truth. And I'm... I almost plagiarized him in the sermon, almost word for word. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It matters. Or to say it this way, it's not a waste. A pastor toils away in a rural congregation for 40 years. As pastors put it, he marries them and buries them. <laughs> not a waste. A teacher puts her whole heart in bringing the little lambs to Jesus. Not a waste. A father sits with his young children three days a week. And the whole family play, prays together. Not a waste. Someone stands up and defends their neighbor. Not a waste. <laughs> A church stays faithful to the Gospel ministry year after year after year. Not a waste. Someone takes their hard-earned money and Sunday after Sunday, year after year, they put their check in the offering plate. Not a waste. A woman takes an alabaster jar. She does the most ridiculous thing. Just because she loves Jesus, she breaks it and makes Jesus look like a wet cat. And Jesus says, oh my goodness. That was so beautiful. It's time for us to stop calculating the impact and just do it for Him. To pour ourselves out because 
He did it first for us. Amen.